Let's turn to the Word of God, and we are, yes, in Mark, and you can see on the screen Mark 1. I would like to point out our psalm said this, and it's very appropriate for today's text. It says, Great are the works of the Lord, studied by all who delight in them. Full of splendor and majesty is his work, and his righteousness endures forever. Verse 4. He has caused his wondrous works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and merciful. So we experience that today. This word of of Psalm 111 is fulfilled in our ears today. The Lord has graciously caused his works to be remembered. He's given us the word of God. And it says if we delight in God, we will study his works. Beware of people who say, I believe in God, but I don't want the Bible. (laughs) It's like, okay, you don't even know God. (laughs) Because this is what God has revealed. He has revealed himself. We don't have to make him up. We just have to study. We should delight and study the word of God honestly, openly, and allow God to be our teacher. He has caused his works to be remembered. So Mark chapter 1, just a few verses today, but uh, overwhelmingly gorgeous and beyond our capacity to cover in in 37 minutes. But let's have a go. Verse, let me read it, verse 9 through 13. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness 40 days, being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals. And the angels were ministering to him. The Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. Let's pray. Father, in your kindness, your precious word tells us in Psalm 127, that unless you build a house, they labor in vain who build it. And I know that applies to sermons as well. Unless you, you make it, we labor in vain. Would you open up your word to each of us in your sovereign, gorgeous, amazing plan? You composed us together to be your congregation, to, to all gather, and you have caused your works to be remembered. We gather around them and we delight in them, so we study them. Would you be so kind as to teach us? We do thank you as has been prayed. We do thank you so much for the forgiveness of sins. We come humbly into your presence on this first day of the week. We want to be recommitted to you, O Father, and serve you well. So teach us and encourage us and challenge us. Through Jesus, I pray. Amen. So I'm calling this God's love language, uh, obviously because there's this 
big word, booming voice, uh, coming from heaven, talking about Jesus. I, I love him. That's my son. Uh, the Greek word is agapetas. I, he's my beloved one. I love him, and I'm, I'm well pleased with him. Uh, so what is God's love language shown to us in this passage of Scripture? First of all, let's just take it bit by bit and, and try to think about the whole composition of this little bit of Scripture. First it says, in those days, it kind of feels sort of random. This just sort of happened. We don't know why now. We don't know. God says later, in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son, born of a woman. He considered this the, the pristine moment. Because, hey, you know, God, if you had waited, you'd tell the internet. You know, <laughs> you could have had way better coverage. <laughs> you know, uh, but no, this is God's perfect plan. Perfect plan. We, we bow before the sovereign Lord who has a perfect timing for everything, right? In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee. Now, here's the truth about Nazareth. It is obscure. Obscure. It is a no-count little town in the wrong location in Israel. Galilee. Galilee. Way up north, that's where the crazy people live. And the Gentile influence up there is just filthy. If you want to be holy, you go, by the way, you go south, but you always go up. You go up to Jerusalem. Notice that in the Bible. You always go up to the holy hill. It's slightly higher elevation, but in their minds, the peak of beauty and purity and location, 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 it's got to be Jerusalem. And where is this guy from? A town we've never heard of. It's obscure. And just imagine here. Think, who is this individual? How old is he about now? He's roughly 30 years old. He's the creator of the universe. He's God himself who became a human being. And for 30 years, he's been living in utter obscurity in a one-sheep town, you know, out in the middle of nowhere. Um, I don't want to be too harsh here, and forgive me if this is your hometown, but I thought of this town in the Central Valley. It's called Fireball. You know what that says on the sign? Progress with pride. <laughs> now, nobody's from Fireball, right? It's in my imagination because Charlotte's parents in their first early ministry, they were missionaries, they would come to Fireball and do evangelism in the migrant workers' camps back in the, back in the 1930s, you know, in the, uh, the uh, Grapes of Wrath era. They were there. Um, lots of like Okies from Oklahoma, right? Anyway, obscure and not very, very well known or well, th th this is literally a postcard of the town. You know, <laughs> I don't know if it's literally, but that's their promo, Fireball, uh, California. And it's basically, I'm just getting to the point of Jesus waited in unbelievable obscurity uh, till he's 30 years old. Trusting God's great plan. This is not a new plan. They're not developing it as they go along. This is a plan the Bible tells us he, they formed before they created the entire earth. The, the plan for Jesus 
to come and be a human being. And what we see here is the amazing um, condescension. He condescended. Uh, He went lower than low. He could have been a, a human being of distinction and amazement. But the mystery and the wonder is that Jesus came in a humiliating way, uh, came from nowhere. Uh, he, he, and he's patient. He's patient. I mean, I don't know about you, but I don't have a lot of patience. If this, you know, something really good we've planned for a long time and, you know, we've already got the thing, you know, Jesus is on the planet. I mean, couldn't it, it could have happened when he was 18. No, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23. All of these years, he's living with brothers who don't even like him. We know that from the Bible. His brothers did not really like him. Because, uh, hey, you know, he was the firstborn. That puts you in a bad category right there. Nobody thinks that's funny? <laughs> okay. <laughs> See, I'm the lastborn. <laughs> the firstborn, you always sort of have a little bit of, you know, you're not sure about that person. <laughs> and, and they're sort of like extra loved, right? And they sort of excel, and they usually do way good in life. Uh, and, that's, and Jesus was perfect. He could never do anything wrong, you know? And, and so he's living in a, in a difficult situation. And what do we know about what he's doing there? He literally was learning how to make furniture. Uh, his father, we know, was a carpenter. Now, they didn't live in framed houses. You know, they lived in these piles of blocks, sort of adobe style, right? Um, and the furniture then would be, uh, you know, fur- uh, I mean, the carpentry would be like furniture and stuff. In one place in the Bible, he's called the carpenter, Jesus. So, here he is coming to save us, to die for our sins, and he patiently waits under God's sovereign plan uh, to, to walk out finally on the stage to do what God has called him to do. It's, it's an amazing look at the patience of God. He's not in a hurry. He's got a perfect plan. And sometimes for us, it looks like he has no plan at all. Why are you leaving him in fireball? You know, that's no place for the Lord of the universe to be. Uh, that's just, just, there's something wrong with that God. But he brings him out, and what does the text say? He comes out from Galilee, Nazareth, and he was baptized by John in the Jordan River. I use the word humiliation. This is humiliating as well. Why were the people being baptized by John? Remember, it was a baptism of what? Repentance. Why do you need to repent? Because you're a sinner. Uh, how, how many sins had Jesus committed? N- none. He, he didn't need to get into this murky water with this crazy dressed guy who ate locusts He didn't need to do this. He willingly did this. Uh, And there's great significance to this reality um, that brings us to the most marvelous thing about Jesus Christ at all. Because he was not a sinner. But he identifies with the sins of his people. He literally becomes sin. Um, Here's a couple of verses for you. Uh, this is from, now, Mark doesn't record this, but when 
Jesus came to be baptized by John, Matthew tells us John would have prevented him. And this is what John said, I need to be baptized by you. You know, John's got this right. God has revealed to him that Jesus is worthy to be worshipped. He says, I can't even untie his sandal, right? I shouldn't touch him. He says, I need to be baptized by you. This is Matthew 3, 14 and 15. I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? Jesus answered him, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. What's going on here is a little picture of the whole reason Jesus is a human being, the Son of God, the Son of Man. Uh, the whole reason he is the Son of Man here is to bear our sins. This is Write this down if you'd like to take jot this down. We, I think we've been in the bullet and we put you a little thing to write things on. Write 2 Corinthians 5.21. Honestly, this is one of the most astounding, wonderful, amazing verses in the entire Bible. Remember our psalm that sets the stage for our worship today. It says this, that he is full of splendor and majesty in his work, and his righteousness endures forever. He has caused his wondrous works to be remembered. And there's nothing more wondrous than Jesus Christ, the creator, fully God, fully man, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the one God existing in three persons, as what it says in 2 Corinthians 5.21. For our sake... He made him, who's the he? God the Father made the Son, God the Son, to be sin. You see the language there? It wasn't even that he just took on sin or carried it for a little while. He became sin for us. That is marvelous. That is the wondrous works of God. That We are the sinners and Christ is becomes our sin for us. Again, the Word of God, 2 Corinthians 5.21, for our sake. That's the those who believe. The, the glorious chosen elect of God are saved by the work of Jesus Christ. For our sake, He made Him. There's actually, we know Jesus willingly did this. You know, Jesus willingly Submitted to the Father. One of the big words of Jesus is obey. He obeyed the Father. You know, fast forward a little bit. Let's, let's go listen in, right, at the Garden of Gethsemane. What is Jesus saying there? He's crying. He's praying the most intense prayer a human being could ever pray because he's looking at the actualization of this reality that he is to be made sin. He knew no sin. But for our sake, he is to be made sin. This is the marvel of why is he standing in the murky water? Get out of there. But he willingly shows that he's identifying with our sin. And what does he say in the Garden of Gethsemane? Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. That's amazing. 
He's real human being. He's saying, this is too, I cannot drink this cup, Lord. But of course, the beauty then is he immediately submits to God, right? He says, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. That's our glorious salvation right there. And it's symbolized in the fact that, wait a minute, you don't need to be baptized by this guy. But he willingly did it to show his full righteousness. Again, let me read this verse. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Marvelous are his works. He deserves our non-stop worship. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. He was slain for our sins. So he is humiliated willingly. And then, right, something happens then. Something truly, I, I mean, I love the, this is a Mark. Mark. Mark's, right, interpreting for Peter. Uh, and Peter and Mark are the same kind of kind of guy. I think they love action. They like action movies. And this is chapter one. You know, look at chapter one. It's huge. It's long. There's a bunch of stuff going on in this first chapter. The first three minutes of the movie. You know, um, and what does he say? Uh, he was baptized by John and Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, okay, let's just pause there for a minute. And when he came up out of the water, it's very literal. He ascended, he came up out of the water. Does it sound like he was in the water? It does sound like that. This seems like uh, best understood as what we call immersion. He was dunked out of the wa- into the water. And this picture shows him sopping wet. I think that's accurate. And he was in the water, and as he immediately comes up out of the water, he uh, ascends comes up out of the water, what happens immediately, by the way, Mark loves that word, we'll talk about it more later, but he uses it a whole bunch of times compared to anybody else, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open. What is that? It it wasn't like a little parting in the clouds, but he's like, they're ripped. He's the only, Mark uses this word alone. Action, big, and I found this piece of artwork that, you know, maybe comes close. I mean, it's like, wow! <laughs> Heaven is open. Uh, God is aware of what is going on. God sees the obedience of his dear son. He, God sees the marvel that Jesus is following through, actualizing this e- eternal plan. I mean, how exciting is it to make a plan that works. <laughs> or like a recipe, right? You cook something and it tastes great. That's super exciting, isn't it? It's, and this is like on the biggest scale. You know, Jesus is there coming up out of the water and God is saying, yes, I got to see this. <laughs> Symbolically, he rips open the heavens. Sometimes I get accused of being too loud. I beg to differ. <laughs> I don't think you can get loud enough when you're talking about God the Father seeing His Son willing to take our crap, our sin, what we deserve to suffer forever for. 
Jesus takes it. For us, we say, hallelujah. Hallelujah, Lord. We love you. Thank you. So, so God just can't hold himself back in a way. Of course he can, but I'm saying there's this revelation of, of, of involvement. God reveals himself. Heavens are torn open. And so we have the Father loving on his Son. I'm here at this moment for you. I'm appreciating this accomplishment. This willingness to be sin, to follow through on this plan we've had forever. The recipe is working. Execution is fantastic. And then, then of course, the text says this. He sees the heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And it's like a dove. Again, marvelous. What? We don't know, you know. But it's, it's, this, it's a real thing. Uh, was there a bird involved? It just says like a dove, so probably it's hard to say there was an actual bird there. But in some way, the Holy Spirit comes to be with Jesus at this moment when you are saying you're repenting of your sin and you're identifying with the sins of your people. Uh, the Holy Spirit is here to be with you, and, and he appears as a, a symbol of peace, you know, a symbol of love, a, a symbol of making things right, a symbol that when you send the dove out of the ark, it comes back with the olive branch that God's wrath is appeased, and there will be life on earth again. Uh, you know, again, it's a beautiful, uh, mind-boggling moment. Um, he sees the Spirit descending on him. And by the way, there's a nice, uh, in the Greek, if you looked at it, there's a uh, linguistic connection. It says, when he came up, that's the, the, uh, he ascended. And then the dove descended. It's the same root word with a different prefix. When Jesus came up, he ascended out of the water. The dove descended from heaven. When Jesus obeyed his Father, the Spirit came down like a dove. And then, then comes this booming voice. He uh, says these glorious words to Jesus. A voice came from heaven. You are my beloved Son, with you, I am well pleased. You know, I have the joy of being fathers, a father. Sometimes fathers, if I stand to the side. <laughs> um, and you know, there's nothing, nothing better than to, to say to your kids, I love you. You are my beloved one. You are my agapetas. And I'm well pleased with you. And, and God says this to his son, Jesus and what is going on here? I think summing it up this way, God reveals here three things. First of all, he is aware of everything. When the heavens are torn open, he's saying, I see this. I'm not far away. This isn't random. This isn't accidental. I'm aware of this. He sees everything, and he is present. I think when the dove comes down, that's he, the, the Holy Spirit's right here with you. 
He is present. And then finally, he lovingly approves of Jesus. He reveals that he lovingly approves of Jesus. Okay, now let's, let's end out this text together. How does, what is God's love language? So far we've seen that he's got this amazing plan and it's intricate and complex and has a lot of mystery to it. Surprising. God's a God of surprises and his love language is to send Jesus in, in, through this obscure, strange revelation. And then the love language is for the son to be obedient for all righteousness, to bear our sin in his own body when he dies on the cross. And his love language is to be aware, to be present, and to be lovingly affirming his son. And so what comes next? How does God show his love? Verse 12. It's like, I'm sorry, but like, thanks a lot, God. This is you call this love. The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. Yes, it's worth crying over. Thank you. And he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted. Same word as he said in the, uh, the Lord's Prayer, which is, uh, you know, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Here, here is God testing his son for 40 days. You know, and since the, Satan himself in person testing God the Son in person for 40 days. Now, Mark just makes a real quick summary of this, and that's all we're doing with it. But just imagine the, the difficulty, the pain. It's like, this is not the way I wish you'd show your love to me, God. Yeah. Love means you let me sit in the chair while you bring me baked items. You know? <laughs> love means, right? That's what we think love means. You know, bring me flowers and make me happy. But in this case, the, the language again is equally bold. This is not mistaken. This is a good translation. The spirit who comes down like a dove, also now he becomes a bulldozer. <laughs> he drove him out into the wilderness. So what is God's love language? Do hard things. This is very, very, very hard. And God has chosen for many of us to do hard things. Life is hard. Uh, God has challenged us. He's laid before us difficult things to do for Him. You know? But the joy is we're doing it for Him. And He's the faithful Father. Uh, who, who's there with us, who's aware of, of us, and, and loves us as we obey him. Uh, this is God's calling to us to do hard things. God does test us. Uh, he allows us, he brings us into temptation. To, now, God does allow us and brings us into temptation. You have to kind of finesse the language there because uh, God doesn't tempt anyone with evil, but he tests us to prove our character, to give us an opportunity to succeed, to have victory. That's why he tests us. And what joy there is when you've been tested and you depend on the Lord and you have victory in that testing. The huge blessing here is that God loves us and he brings us into testing too. There's great passages of Scripture on this. Um, 
primarily the one I'm thinking of is in the book of Hebrews chapter 12. Let's turn there to round this out today. Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. This should be one of those passages that we're very familiar with. Hebrews 12, uh, 5. It's, it's one of those passages that's really hard to, to break up, so I'm going to read probably more than you'd wish I did. But Hebrews 12, 5 through 11. It says, Have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? Again, God the Father has this perfect plan for his son to drive him out to a place where he'll be tested. Have you forgotten? It says, My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. Sometimes we have this weird idea that God won't discipline us, God won't chastise us. No, that's exactly what he does. He tests us for our growth. He's disciplining us. It is, verse 7, it is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. If he did it with his holy son and perfect son who didn't need testing, (laughs) would he do it for us who need testing, who need to grow through the experience? Absolutely the case. Um, he is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom the father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live For they disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So our prayer should be, Lord, as you call us to do hard things and even to endure hard testings, Lord, help us to be trained by it. Help us to be improved by it. Give us victory. Give us repentance. Give us joy. We rejoice in our sufferings, Paul said, and knowing that they have a purpose. They have a plan for us. And of course, all the beauty of this comes together because why was Jesus here? Why was he being tested? He's he's being proved to, to be our Savior. Uh, he's shown to be the holy, perfect Son of God who will be made sin for us. The huge blessing is we are saved in this beloved one. That's what it says exactly in uh, Ephesians 1. It says we're saved in the beloved who is Jesus Christ with which he has blessed us in the beloved. He said, this is my beloved Son. We're saved because of Jesus' perfection and obedience. Because he was tested and passed the test, he is our perfect, patient Savior. So here's some ideas, summing it up. What is God's love language in this text? First of all, through the obscurity of Jesus, through his baptism, uh, through the affirmation that God the Father's 
gave to Jesus on that day. And through his testing, uh, we are saved. That is the glorious love language of God. Let us pray. Lord, thank you for your kindness to us and bless this precious word to our hearts. And Lord, as we said at the very beginning, we who are saved have a glorious opportunity to tell other people about this great salvation in a world that is hurting so badly with high school shootings and uh, dangerous situations everywhere we look in a world that is um, teetering on the edge of destruction. Uh, Lord, this, the only source of hope and uh, security is, is you. And in your precious word, we know you are true to your everlasting covenant and you give us security by simple faith in our Savior Jesus Christ and help us to represent this message, the gospel, as we go from this place. In Jesus' name, amen.